morning, I want to start a, well, it may be a short series, it may not. The subject that was given to me in the conference this past week was, why pray? There are various reasons, but I would like to, because the Lord is leading me to do that, to preach uh, several messages concerning why pray and some of the aspects of that. Now, most people say, well, as far as prayer, that's something that's widely neglected. Prayer is communicating with God. It doesn't require any special language. It doesn't require a special place, although it's good. Jesus teaches us that we are to go away and be by ourselves or in a, a private place to pray occasionally, but you can pray while you're driving, while you're sitting here, while you're doing most anything. In fact, he says to be in a attitude of prayer, pray without ceasing. That's what that means in that section of the King James Bible. So this morning, this will be an introductory message because of some of the things that God has for us, I think would be profitable to the church and to us as individuals. There are two places that I want to read. One is in Matthew 11, one is in Matthew 7. In Matthew 11, verses 28, 29, and 30, and we will entitle the message today, I guess, Come to Me, because Jesus, in order for us to learn how that we ought to pray and why we should pray, in what manner, there are four things that need to be true in our lives. Not everybody can just pray to God. Did you realize that? All the people are spread over the earth. Not all people are able to pray to God and have the assurance that he will answer their prayers. So who can and who can't? I thought God could hear everybody. God can hear everyone. He doesn't answer everyone the same. Uh, God is omniscient, of course. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's every place. And, of course, he... Uh, is all-powerful, omnipotent, and so consequently, he is able. We want to read, first of all, to you Matthew 11 and verse 28. Jesus is speaking. It's called the Great Invitation. It's, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then over in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, and also 21 through 23, says first of all in verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, and by straight we mean narrow, today we would say narrow. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow, how narrow, we could say there, is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Then Jesus says in verse 21, 2 and 3, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils or demons. 
and in thy name done many wonderful works or miracles is what we're talking about there. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, and that indeed lawlessness would be a more proper word. It's the same spirit of lawlessness that we have today that we will have during this tribulation, the Antichrist, that which is growing. Father, we pause to thank you for your precious word. We ask that you would bless it and send it forth in our hearts and minds to accomplish what you would. Give us wisdom and guidance and knowledge and understanding. Help us to understand. Apply to us, Holy Spirit of God, that which you would have us to know and understand. And then cause it to be fruitful in us, Father. Plant the seed of the word and cause it to blossom and bloom in our life through application and through a change for the better, that we might have the peace and the abundance of life that Lord Jesus Christ promised us both now and in that which is to come. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Now, we said this series will be called Why Pray? And I'm sure that if you've ever studied the subject of prayer, you probably found that there are two things that are true. Number one, prayer is a much larger and sometimes, although it's simple, made complicated by men, subject than it seems. It is probably longer and more detailed than what most people think. You say, well, what do you do when you pray? Well, you close your eyes and the kids say, I lay me down to sleep. And, or they say, we thank thee, Lord, for this food. Or God is good and God is great. And we thank you for this food. Or whatever the case might be. Is it wrong to use those prayers? Not if we're using them sincerely. But it is just simply to get into a fashion, as we'll see, uh, and say them over and over and over. The second thing that's true is the majority of all or most of the writing on the subject of prayer is both ambiguous, which means it's not able, it's not clear-cut, it's not easily understood, and most of it is Arminian in scope. Well, right away, someone says, well, why should we pray? Well, we are two ends of the spectrum. On this end, we'll find people that are saying, well, we've got to pray. We've got to assault heaven's battlements, and we have to pray through. We have to strike fire. We have to continue until God listens to us. We have to hound him or beg and plead or whatever the case might be. Prayer changes things. We have to get God to change his mind and do something for us. That's wrong. That can't happen. Prayer does change things. We'll find out that the things in this series of messages are not the way we think they are. The second end of the spectrum, people will be saying, well, and they're usually in, in some of our groups, they say, well, why pray indeed? After all, isn't God going to do everything that he wants to do? Is he not sovereign? And no man can thwart his purpose, can they? No. Scripture says back in Daniel 4.35 that all the inhabitants of the earth are refuted as nothing. And what? He, that is God, does according to his will in the armies of the heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and no man can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? So we know he's sovereign. They say, well, after all, isn't he going to save all of the elect? He knows how many people are going to be saved and how many are not, and won't he accomplish that? And after a person's saved, doesn't the scripture say that he orders the steps of a good man? Doesn't the scripture say that everything works for good to those who love God, or are they called according to his purpose over in uh, Romans? Doesn't it say that? So why would we pray? God's going to do all those things anyway. That is a totally wrong view. Of prayer. Those things may be true. There may be truth in both of those things. And today, unfortunately, we have people who are worshiping and praying through 
holy laughter. Now, my opinion of that is the silliest thing I have ever seen in my life. Oh, they say you shouldn't say that. God says in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Holy laughter, you can watch Oral Robertson and sit down and him do that both, and they just sit there and laugh until the tears run out of their eyes or they roll in the aisles. There are other people who say that praying and worship is jumping or shouting or doing all these kinds of things. I find no place in the scripture that says that's correct. You say, well, you shouldn't criticize them for it. If it is not confusion, if it's in order and if it accomplishes the things that God says that prayer is supposed to accomplish and worship is supposed to accomplish, then I won't. But I have to take a stand against those things. But I don't have time to get into that this morning. The Bible is clear to those who have the capacity to understand it. Now, did you hear that part? The Bible is clear on this subject and others to those who have the capacity to understand it. Why, why would someone not understand it? Because Corinthians tells us that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. He doesn't understand them. They're foolishness to him. Why is that? Because he, has, he or she has not been converted. They have received Christ. They have been born from above. When you're born from above, what happens? You're able. You have a desire for God. You're able to begin to understand what God's talking about. Can I understand the entire Bible? I can, but I don't. I don't have enough time. There are hard parts. God has answers to every single question. I don't care what it is. People today say, well, the Bible's outdated. No, it's not. People have had the same problems, just different scenarios. Down through the centuries, they've always had. Now, if you say, well, I need a decision. I need God to tell me and answer this prayer for me. So I'll pray it. I'll just open the scripture to a place. Lord, show me the spot. You're probably not going to get a very good answer, if any. The thing that I want to emphasize to you is balance. Christianity is balanced. And prayer requires God's word and the power of the Spirit. And you can't just do that one day and leave it. It's something that needs to be built. We need to know God's word. We need to be studying. And eventually, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, you'll understand and the word will begin to come together. And you'll look at the entire panorama and you'll see that God's word isn't so big as you thought it was after all. You'll be able to see the beginning and the ending. Now, God sees that in everything, every part of our life. You and I, we can see the Bible in that way. And so we need that. So I say to you, to those who have the capacity to understand it, there's enough about prayer to fill a whole series of messages, which we're going to do. And there's enough about everything else in God's Word to know and to understand any problem or difficulty in our lives. We've had people say, well, here's one that the Bible doesn't talk about, and we can go and find that. You know, some people for a number of years, some ministers, would not read from the King James in certain parts of the Scripture because it has words that have come to have a bad connotation in our present. And some were such sticky situations, and the Bible characters committed such obscenities, that is, in seeing what was done, they said, oh, it's just not among polite company. They did the same things that we do today. And God put them there. What, is, what does he say about the Scripture? All Scriptures give my inspiration of God. It's profitable for several things, doctrine, correction, and proof. But it's there for our example so that we can see and learn from that. We don't always do that, but it's there. 
for us to learn. Now, Psalm 34:15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. God sees the entire world. He sees every person. He records. Yes, you say, how can that be? Because he's God. He has the ability to do that. God can do far more than what you and I can even think of. We're not even thinking about the universe and the solar system that he's created and all the other things that are away from this tiny little planet upon which we live. And he governs all that. He's able to do anything because he's God. See, people sometimes will reason with the human mind. They'll say, well, he's God. And oh, yes, he did this. The sea parted. The Israelites escaped from Egypt. And this or that happened. But you tell them today something about God. And they say, well, how can that be? It's because he's God. He can do any single thing that he desires and more than you and I can even begin to understand. Now, consider with me today one portion one of the three aspects that God says are necessary are through the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might have and be able to understand prayer and have a successful prayer life. Now, am I going to lay a lot of rules on you about praying? No. But I'm going to tell you that some things have to be true. Now, we just said that the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit. Jesus says four things. Two of them I just read to you there in Matthew 11. He says, come unto me. Salvation. He says, learn of me, studying the scripture, knowing his way. He says, follow me. And that's our Christian life, our overall walk with God, the way in which we're going, following the pilgrim's path that he's laid out for us. And oftentimes, no two are alike. But you're not incompatible with all the others. We're going the same way. And fourthly, and the most neglected, he says, abide in me. That's the most difficult when it comes to prayer and prayer life. Abide in me. And when we get to that, you'll find that it's such a simple thing, we just simply never thought about it. But Jesus says in order for prayer, he teaches us in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit, in order for our prayer life to be what it should, we need all four of those things. The first is obvious, the one we're preaching on today. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Salvation is a prerequisite. Why is that? Can't anyone, any place, at any time pray to God? Scripture says, Now we know that, know that God heareth not sinners. Well, what does he mean there? He means God hears and sees all at one time. You know, I, I am fortunate to be able to do two things at a time. The job I have to do, I have to be doing one thing and reaching out for another, and I can get confused doing that. But God sees all things, all people, he hears everything. Can you imagine what the airways are like where the, of course, the demons are there too. The Bible says there's a posse uh, in the Greek that surround us, the fallen angels, the demons. But also his good angels are here among us. My brother uh, Merrill was saying, some may well be here this morning. That's true. Because they learn. They attend the assemblies of the saints and so on. But can you imagine what it must be like, what God must hear? He hears the prayers of the saints, those of you who pray today. And that's a sweet savor to him. But think of all the other things that go through the airways. All the TV and the radio, all the filthy communication, all the blasphemy, all the swearing, and all the other things that rise up as well. Besides all of the cable satellites, and you know, they're not all good things. They... Uh, Advertise, no, I can't think of it. Playboy. 
channel, all these other things. Think what God has to hear and see from all people. Now, as regards prayer, it says we know he heareth not sinners. You mean he doesn't hear what they say? Yes, he hears what they say. But he doesn't answer them in the same way that he does you and I. Why? Because they're not his children. You who have children, this is a crude illustration. You have some child that comes to your door one day, and you don't know him, and he says, Mama, I want you to give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He comes in the house and he starts all this stuff. Wait a minute, who are you? I never even saw this kid before. Maybe he's lost or kid. What's your name? I don't know. Well, where do you live? I don't know. And all this kind of thing. You have a problem with him, right? Well, God, that's a crude illustration. But all of these people who reject God, who don't know him, are like that strange child. He doesn't receive them and answer their prayers because they don't want to do with them. They have a natural enmity against him. And until they hear the gospel and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ, they're none of his children. Now, when it came time, when Jennifer was a little girl and it was time for her not to play anymore, I didn't go out through the neighborhood and gather her up and about ten other children bring them home and put them to bed and take care of them as well. They weren't ours. Well, God doesn't gather up all the lost people anyway and bring them in. There's a man on cable TV, I've forgotten his name, Man, I believe his last name, I stopped watching him, but he makes me so angry, I go back and watch again, and then I go, he's a man who answers people's toughest questions over there. He's a minister, pastors of church. He tells them there's no hell, don't worry about that. God is going to eventually take care of everyone in the end and all this sort of thing. That isn't what the Bible says. If I tell you something that's not in the Bible, then I'm wrong. You have the right to ask me and question me. So, wait a pastor. I, I need to understand better what you're saying about this or that. And I'll be glad to tell you because I try to preach nothing but what's in the Scripture. And so the prerequisite for prayer is to come unto me, to be saved, salvation, deliverance, so that we might pray and have our prayers answered. How do we know that they will be answered? Because God said so. We'll get to that in a few moments. But I want to emphasize first, I'd like for you to memorize those four things. Come unto me, learn of me, follow me, and abide in me. So when he says, come unto me, he's telling anyone, everyone who is able to be saved. You know, I've heard sometimes preachers stand up and they'll take the last part of Revelation and they'll say, whoever thirsts, come and drink of the water of life freely. Then they complain about some of us ministers. They say, you sovereign grace people, they don't always call us sovereign grace, other things. They say, it says right here, anyone that can. Certainly, anyone that can may. But not everyone can. I know that when I go out to preach the gospel, when I visit someone, present the gospel to them, or witness to them, some of them are not going to accept it. They can't. They don't want God. They want no part of him. So I know that's going to happen. But whoever can, will. And I say to him, if you're able to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on him. Receive him. If you're able... These promises are for you. So the first prerequisite when we come to the prayer life is to be in the family. I, I've used this before. You have an AM and an FM radio. The first automobiles I bought, there wasn't any FM. You only had AM. So in the late 50s and so on, you listen to the rock and roll, all that kind of thing on the AM radio. You know, which, that's all you had. When FM came along, I thought, boy, I'd like to have FM, but I just can't get it on the AM band. Of course not. 
People who are out here in the world without Jesus Christ are on the AM band. But there came out a little thing before FM radio. Well, I guess it was about time FM radio. You get an FM converter and hook it onto your AM radio, connect it, and you can get FM station. You and I who are saved, I want you to think of us as FM. We can receive. But the people out here don't have the capacity. They can't. So consequently, they can't speak to God. Now, I know you've all seen those movies, and, and the fellow comes out and he says, Lord, you know, you know me, I'm so-and-so, and I never put much stock in this or that, and I don't ask anything, but if you'll just save the farm or the dog or the person or whatever it might be, then I'll be much obliged or I'll do this and so. It doesn't work that way. God hears those prayers, but he doesn't answer them according as he does for you and I. You and I have the assurance that whatever we ask in his name, he will give it to us, provided it's within his will to do so. And we say, well, then, then what's the use? We're going to want things, well, in later messages, we're going to show you how you will be conformed to the will of God through prayer and through these four aspects that we're talking about. And you'll come to the place where you won't be asking amiss to consume it on your lusts. You won't be asking amiss in prayer. And God will change things through prayer, mainly you, and bring you into the conformity of his will. And he will do those things that you and I request of him to do. Now, whenever we're talking about his will, I want you to think of this. God has a declarative will, and he has, well, non-declarative, we call it secret sometimes, that which is known to him. A declarative will of God is what the Bible says. God declares that I will that everywhere men pray. I will that this or that takes place. I will that you do this. I will, I will. That's the declarative will of God. The secret is his will that you and I don't know. Those things are known only to him. Who are the elect? How many are there? I don't know. But he's declared his will to save them. So there are two kinds. There's the declarative will of God, that which we are to know and responsible for, that which is known only to him and revealed as it pleases him, and that we cannot know. But it is all God's will. Now with these thoughts in mind, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is it hard to be a Christian? Not really. The fact of the matter is, it's one of the simplest things in the world. Jesus does not require, he is not a hard taskmaster, but the scripture pictures the fact that he buys us out of the marketplace of sin. He takes us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. We're translated, transferred. And we are now, as Jude says, blessed bond slaves of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. His mark is upon us. Did you know that? Can you see that? No. Where is it? The scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit places that mark. We're sealed into the day of redemption. And we're known to the Lord. We're known by name. He doesn't just look down and say, well, here's all these people that are saved. I have to look them up in the book. He knows our name. And when he looks at me or he looks at you or whoever you are that's saved this morning, that's received Christ, that's trusting him, you're one of the members of the family of God. See, there's the family of God, the church of God, the kingdom of God. But you're a member of the family of God. You're a saved person, man, woman, boy, or girl, whoever you might be. 
God looks down and he says, well now, here's uh, Ralph or Kim or Jenny or John or whatever the case might be. And they, they do and think a lot of things they shouldn't, but he doesn't do that. He looks at us and what does he see? The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not mine own righteousness. He took all my righteousness this morning and you heaped it up in here. Probably wouldn't hold it, but let's take it outside. Make a great big heap. You'd have a big heap of filthy, stinking refuse. Because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. If you look at the connotation of that word, filthy, it's filthy. But when we trust Christ, we have his righteousness imputed to us. And now we can come boldly to the throne of grace? Yes. We can come any time? Yes. He wants to know everything about us in prayer and so on? Yes. You see, prayer is a very personal thing. And the only way we can do that is to come into a personal relationship. So I can come to the Father any time through the righteousness of Christ. And I can say, Lord, here's what's troubling me. This is what's bothering me. I don't know what your will is about this. And you know, does God care about the heartaches and the problems and the inconsistencies? Sure he sure does. What's the scripture say? You know, we teach the children some of these verses. We, you think they're children's verses or something, but they're not. The entire Bible is for us. It says, casting all your care upon him. Why? He careth for you. And so the Lord is sensitive as a high priest. He's not a high priest that's not touched with our infirmities. He is. He knows. He has experienced as a man the same things that we have as human beings, except he's done it perfectly and righteously because he is both God or was both God and man. And so we have to have that personal relationship. So the first aspect of successful prayer and all the other things we're going to talk about in prayer over the coming two or three weeks or whatever it is, is a personal relationship. Come unto me. Now, we need to speak a few moments before we finish concerning coming unto him. He says that we are to do that, that his yoke is easy, Christianity is simple, but it's, people make it hard. The Christian life is simple, people make it hard. They say, you've got to do this, you've got to belong to this church, you've got to belong to this sacrament. You've got to take these sacraments. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And you've got to do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's a freedom and liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us free from all things. But you and I have to use that Christian liberty so as not to make other people stumble. All things may be lawful, but they're not expedient. Now, Jesus says this. He tells us Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What do we hear today? You turn on the religious stations, I get channel 51, and I get the Acts and Faith Network, I don't remember what that is, 69 or someplace up in there. And it has many people talking about, first you see their church, it says, Jesus is Lord. Most of those are charismatic churches. And they'll tell you that Jesus is their Lord. Lord, I know there's someone out there who needs this. I've seen some of those men talk, walk up and say, you have a tumor, you don't know that. 
but it's just been dissolved and it's gone. Brother, I wouldn't trust anybody to tell me that. Anymore, I wouldn't use car dealer. Some of the people I've done business with. God does not do things like that without speaking to you and I, but that's going to be another message. I can't get into that right now. Can he heal? Absolutely. Can he get rid of tumors and all that? Sure he can. But we'll see how that's incorporated in prayer and what he needs to say. But Jesus is saying here, not every one of those kind of people that say, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people going around saying, Lord, doing a lot of bad things. Talking to a person not long ago. Talking about gay ministers going to gay bars in Columbus. Evil, good, and good evil. Mixing that which is unrighteous with that which is righteous. So Jesus said, not everyone that says that. Well, who then? He goes on to say right there. He says, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, who is that? Let's say people. Are we all going to do the will of God perfectly? Absolutely not. Because we're human beings, we don't do anything perfectly. But God will use us. He'll guide us. He'll direct us. We seek to do those things that are pleasing to him. And only Christians, he's talking about, he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Who does the will of God? No one but one who desires to please God. You think the rest of the people in this world, you say, well, wait a minute. God uses evil people, doesn't he, to do his will? Sure. He used wicked men to crucify Christ. They didn't stop and say, well, I'm doing this to fulfill the scripture, so we're going to crucify Christ. They did it out of their own hatred of him and out of their own desire to do that, which was in their hearts. But God was using him. He was manipulating. He was moving. He was bringing to pass that which he would. But as far as doing the will of God, who can we go out and find today among sinners and say, you know, God says that we should be doing this or that. Would you like to come with me this afternoon and we'll do that? Are you nuts? Get away from me. Most people won't have anything to do with that. So when he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, but he which doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, he's speaking of Christians. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful, miraculous works? So when that time comes and God opens the books, there will be those who will try to defend themselves. I've had people tell me, in fact, I had one not very long ago, I need to tell God when I see him that he needs to understand that this and this and this and this. That won't work. There'll be some who'll stand there and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty, wonderful, miraculous works in your name? Didn't we do all these things? Verse 23 says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work, iniquity or lawlessness. I prefer lawlessness. Lawlessness is that which is the opposite of God. The spirit of lawlessness has been turned loose since almost the early church age. The spirit of lawlessness is growing stronger, and during the tribulation time, the spirit of lawlessness will be almost at its height. So what's he telling us? A personal relationship. I never knew you. How do you know God? How do I know Christ? How do I know through the Scripture? as I pray to him since I have received him. And I ask him to guide and direct me. And I read, and daily those things which I read, and that which I gain, that which I garner from the messages and the teaching and so on, all point me to who Jesus Christ 
who God is and what he's like. We'll be preaching a series of messages on how God reveals himself also as soon as we can get another service going or on down the road whenever it is. He reveals himself in many ways through his names especially. That's how we begin to know him. Did you know your husband or wife when you married them? Well, of course, you just didn't walk down the street one day and say, hey, this is the person we look for if I'm going to get married. Don't know anything about it. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? Some people do pretty close to that, I realize. But wouldn't it? Now, if you get to know them, say, you know, I don't like this person at all. How do I get into this? We need to know God, and that comes through a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It comes from reading the scriptures. It comes from praying and guiding and directing. And I know what God expects. There are things in my life sometimes that I know. I see it coming. And I think, I can't get involved in that. I can't do this. I can't. I've got to turn away from that. It isn't something that's going to be pleasing to God. Now, I'm not talking about simple things. I'm talking about problems and difficulties that come up in life. And someone has a great idea and they say, this is what you need to be in. Pastor, you need to do this or that. Not always. You have a right relationship. You discuss everything with God. You talk to God as your heavenly father. You may not have had a father here on the earth that you could talk to, but if you're saved, you have one that you can talk to. You can talk to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can speak to him. You can ask him. You can direct it to him. And so that's the first aspect to a proper prayer life. We haven't even hardly touched on prayer. We'll get to the mechanics of it and so on in a later message or two. But the most important thing is this this morning. When he says, come unto me. And that we need to do. And then when we do, we can begin to speak to him. And I'll emphasize it again. You don't have to use... You know, there was a time when proper pulpit language was the and thou. I still use that and I slip into the vernacular sometimes. But you don't have to say certain words. You don't have to use the most flowery language. Now, God is not our equal. So we don't come in like some people are talking to me and they say, you know, dude, hey, dude, I don't know what this dude is, but they tell me about uh, Dude, you might be wrong on this. And dude, I believe this or that or whatever. That's the way we speak to God. You have to be respectful, a reverential respect. But at the same time, there's no set language. We don't have to use a perfectly stilted language to speak to him. You can talk to him anytime, anywhere. Any place that you need to talk to. Our time is just about gone, so as we come to the conclusion in this first message, where he says, Come unto me, as an aspect of how to pray, that's the first thing that we need to do. We can't know him, we can't speak to him, we can't have a communication and a fellowship and an intimate relationship, and sometimes that relationship is as intimate as any relationship you can have upon the face of the earth. With him. There have been times I'm going along through the country and the Spirit of God is speaking to me about something. I'll stop sometimes and, and pray to keep from paying attention to what I'm doing. You're supposed to drive according to the laws of the land. But there are times when I'll have a time like that with the Lord that just greatly blesses me and causes me to rejoice and He impresses something upon my heart. That's how I get my messages. The preacher told me a long time ago, he said, that'll go away. You'll get used to that after a while and you do it according to the books. I hope not. I'll pray about it. The Spirit of God will move upon me. And I didn't have a particular message theme for the California time. And the Lord, before I went to bed that night, began to bring a portion of Scripture to me. Same thing in the morning impressed it upon me. And so I told the pastor, I said, it'll be on this. I don't know what the message is. This will be a Scripture portion. 
Whatever we do, we can talk to God about it. Having trouble with my husband, having trouble with my wife, having trouble with the kids. I'm nervous, I'm upset, my job is doing this, whatever the case might be. The Lord understands all that. And people say, well, that doesn't have to do with God now. On Sunday we go and we say our normal prayer has everything to do with God. An intimate relationship. He cares about us. We need to be able to speak with him. In order to do that, we have to come to him first and be his child. Heavenly Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands this morning. Lord, we know that we must have an intimate relationship with you. You said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to do that. And when we do that, we know you deliver us from sin. You transfer us from darkness into light. You deliver us from the law of sin and death. The scripture says, a soul that sinneth it shall die. But you took our place and you died for us. So we receive you and accept you. And you took our place and you give us your righteousness. You suffer our sin. We're thankful for that this morning. Pray, Heavenly Father, you would bless the words of the Scripture to our hearts and minds, that they might not let us go, that they might accomplish in us that which you would. We ask in Jesus' name, for his name's sake. Amen.